All right, good morning, everyone. It is uh, an incredible schos to be here with all of you this morning. Always, always a big schos to participate in anything that Ma'alot does, Bar Hashem, the Wits does. I had a great opportunity to teach here for a couple of years, which was always a, a highlight of my day, a highlight of my week. And it's always beautiful to see just the base measures filled with such an incredible group of young women, with such promise, with such potential. It certainly gives one incredible hope for the future of Klal Yisrael as well. So it's also a privilege to be able to spend a little bit of time preparing for Rosh Hashanah. You know, in life, the most important thing is that the impact of any experience is directly related to how much you prepare for that experience. So one of the first earliest examples, right? Who could point me to an example? Where do we see that Chazal tell us that the more you prepare for something, the more impactful the experience is? Shabbos, good, beautiful. Kol atarech, right? Kol atarech be'erev Shabbos, yochal b'Shabbos, right? If you toil on erev Shabbos, you on Shabbos, good. Where else? Even earlier, that's Gemara Masech, Shabbos, beautiful. Even earlier than that. One of the first examples we have of the power of preparation. I'm sorry. So there's a beautiful Gemara Masech, Baruchas. The Gemara says, Chasidim harishonim, hayushohim sha'achas kodim hatfilah. The early pious ones, the early pious ones, shohin. How would you translate the word shohin? Like shaha, shin hey hey. Wait, it literally means to wait, to do nothing. But of course, on a deeper level, chasidim arishonim, shohin shaachas kodmat meant that they used to prepare for an hour before davening. Now, what does that mean to prepare for an hour before davening? I don't know, maybe it means to heal him. I don't know what it means. But here's what I know it means. In other words, I don't know what they did to prepare, but clearly what the Gemara is trying to express to us is that if you want to have a meaningful tefillah experience, one thing is clear. I can't roll out of bed and roll into davening. That for sure doesn't work. And by the way, it's not just true for davening. It's true for everything in life. If you want an impactful experience, whether it's in your ruchnius or one day in your careers, if you choose to have one, at the end of the day, success is always tethered to preparation. The more I prepare, the more successful and impactful the experience is. And if it's true by tefillah, and if it's true by Shabbos, then Allah has come of a kama all the more so. It is true by the yamim noraim. That to be able to have a meaningful Rosh Hashanah, today we'll focus more on Rosh Hashanah, but to be able to have a meaningful Rosh Hashanah requires preparation. And not just preparation, you know, you know how often things work, right? When Chodesh Elul comes, how, how do we think, right? What goes through your mind? Chodesh Elul comes, and what's going through your mind? I'm sorry, uh-oh. Okay, we're going to change that. We're going to change that in Yeretz Hashem. Good. What else goes through your mind? I have the whole Elul. I have the whole Elul. I have the whole Elul, right? And it's the best feeling of the world, in the world, because especially like this year, this year, where Elul really was at the end of the summer. You know, sometimes Elul comes, you know, and it's the summertime. And to be honest, it's very hard to get into Elul when it's the summer. You know, vacation, relaxing, laid back, everything is... But this year was great. It was so good. Elul was at the end of August. It was fantastic. Like, I have a whole month. The summer's over. I relax. I'm rejuvenated. I'm recharged. I have a whole month. Great. Then what happens? Rosh Hashanah comes, right? Or let's take today. Here we stand just a few days before Rosh Hashanah. Raise your hand if you've accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish this Elul. 
And it's not gaiva. If you really did it, raise your hand. Exactly. I'm assuming you're not just being an anav over here, but really, like, just the dynamic is the month comes, the month goes, and the truth is I have not accomplished the things I want to accomplish. And kind of it's just human nature, and it's not because I'm lazy, and it's not because I don't care, and it's not because it's not important. It's just like life kind of gets in the way, stuff gets in the way, whatever else comes up. So now I'm a couple of days before Rosh Hashanah. And there's still time. There's still time to prepare. This is really important because the worst thing I could do, not the worst thing, but something that's really detrimental is to walk into Rosh Hashanah with no preparation. Ideally, I should walk into Rosh Hashanah with a month of preparation. The truth is, I should walk into Rosh Hashanah with more than a month of preparation. How much preparation should I walk into Rosh Hashanah with? A year. Good, excellent. Right? A year of preparation. That's the ideal. All right, I don't get a year of preparation, at least a month. But sometimes I don't even have a month. Elo came, Elo went, and I haven't done, but it's okay. It's Thursday. Erev Shabbos, right? Last Shabbos, last Shabbos of the year. Parshas Nitzavim. Rosh Hashanah is not till Sunday night. One could accomplish so much in just a couple of days. So even if I haven't maximized my preparation up until this point, the question is, how do I maximize my preparation over the next few days? So I want to show you something interesting on the sheets, on the, on the Marmakomos, on the source sheet that I gave you. I want to go a little, bit, a little bit out of order. If you take a look at number five on the sheet. So there's an incredible Gemara in Meseches Yuma. Fascinating Gemara. Tan Rabbanon. Averos sheisvad alein yom ekipurim zeh. Lo yisvad alein yom ekipurim acher. Vim shana bahen. Tzarech leisvad alein yom ekipurim acher. So listen to this. I'll tell you this outside a little bit because I think it's a riveting machlokas. Here's the following case. We're about to enter into Rosh Hashanah 5783. Tavshin So imagine for a moment again, last Rosh Hashanah, 5782, I did tshuva for a particular Avera. I did an Avera. Let's call it, I stole. Just use that as an example. I stole. I'm a thief. So last year Rosh Hashanah, I did tshuva for the Avera of theft that I committed in 5781. Good, following the timeline, right? So work forward. 5781, I stole, right? Rosh Hashanah 5782, I did tshuva. And what's the good news? 5782, I didn't steal. I did a lot of other Averas, but I didn't steal. I didn't steal. So now, what's the Shiloh the Gemara is dealing with? What's the question? Comes Rosh Hashanah 5783, do I still have to do tshuva for the act of theft or not? I didn't repeat the Avira in the past year. Do I have to do tshuva for it this year? So if I were to throw this out to you, what do you think? I didn't commit the Avira. Again, I did it in 5781. Did tshuva on Rosh Hashanah 5782. Did not repeat the Avira in 5782. And Rosh Hashanah 5783. Do I have to do tshuva for the sin of theft? What would you say? Why not? Because it's right. Excellent. Good. Book is closed. I did tshuva. Everyone agree with that? Give you a hint. This is one of these great questions where there's no wrong answer. Right? There's no wrong answer. It's a machlokis in the Gemara. It's a machlokis. So the Gemara number five says, Averos that you did tshuva on, that you did not repeat, that you did not repeat, you do not have to do tshuva for again. And in fact, the Gemara says, and if you do tshuva for it, if you mention it again, What is it like? You'll excuse the imagery. 
is like a dog eating its vomit, right? In other words, that, you did tshuva for it already. You did tshuva for it. Let it go. Let it go. Be done with it. Second, if you're Rabbi Elazar last two lines, number five. Kol shekin shu meshubach shenemar ki pishayani eda vechatosi negdi sam. According to the words of David Amalek, Rabbi Elazar ben Yaakov says, no. You always have to do tshuva for Averas. Even if you did not repeat it again, even if I didn't repeat the Avera again, once you did it, you have to perpetually do tshuva for it. And again, he quotes the Pasuk, V'chatosi negdi somid. My sin, my Avera, is always opposite me. A fundamental machlokis. And by the way, this machlokis is one of those machloksim that fundamentally shapes how we do tshuva. According to the first opinion, the only things I have to do tshuva for are really the things I did last year. Last year. Anything before last year, I don't have to do tshuva for. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov, Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov, natural, Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov is essentially, I have to keep like a running list of Averos. A running list of Averos. I, I, I haven't committed this particular Avera for five years. Baruch Hashem, you know, the way it works in the world of sin. You're a group of Nashim Sidkanios, so you wouldn't know this. So I'll explain it to you. Right? The way it works in the world of sin is we never stop sinning. We just kind of change orientations, right? So in other words, that, that Avera, that's, that's a past Avera. So I move past, we, uh, man always sins. So we just sin in different ways. So according to Rebbe Yaakov, whatever you've done over your lifetime, a person has to keep a running tally of that and continuously do tshuva even for things I've not repeated in the last year. And again, sometimes you see a machlokis, and it's interesting, but this is a machlokis that fundamentally changes how one does tshuva. So how do we paskin? So look at number six, the Rambam. Rambam, you know, has Hilchos Tshuva. Has Hilchos Tshuva. And beautifully enough, there are ten chapters of Hilchos Tshuva. Very beautiful practice that many people have is to learn one parak of Hilchos Tshuva every day of Aseris Yimei Tshuva. And the Rambam literally teaches us. Yana Chazoka, Mishnah Torah, teaches us the halachas of doing Tshuva. Sometimes we kind of look at Tshuva like Bederech or through the lens of Hashkafa. And while it's true, there are many Hashkafic aspects to Tshuva, there's also Hilchas Tshuva. How you do Tshuva, what you have to do Tshuva for, what the mechanism of Tshuva is. So the Ramam writes in number six, Havidwe, skip down a little bit to the end of the, actually to the end of the first line. Averus, Shesvada Aleim Biyom Kippurim Zeh, Cholzer Umesvada Aleim Biyom Kippurim Acher. The Rambam Paskins like Rabbi Lazar Ben Yaakov. Incredible. Namely, that even if I did not repeat the Avera this past year, I still have to do Tshuva for it. That's how the Rambam Paskins So I have to keep a running tally of my Averus, a running tally of my Averus, and ultimately do tshuva for everything I've done in the past. He goes on, he says, Even though, again, I did tshuva for theft in the last year, Rosh Hashanah 57.82, and I did not repeat the Avera, I did not commit all this entire year, the Rambam still says, you still have to do tshuva for it. If you look at seven, there's a beautiful parish on the Rambam called the Direi Yermio. And I put a little biography over here. You can see Rabbi Yermio, who lived from 1811 to 1864. So the Direi Yermio says, why? Why is it that I have to keep in mind all of my Averas? It's, I have to tell you, how does this Rambam make you feel? How does it make you? This isn't a therapy session, but how, how does it make you feel? Right, you listen, how, how, how do you feel about that Rambam? Huh? Say it again. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. What the Rambam is saying is, I have to carry the burden of my collective Averus from my youth 
till present. I haven't done some of these things for years, Baruch Hashem. Right? I, I've, I've grown out of certain things. I've grown past certain things. Ram says, no, got to keep it with you. It's an overwhelming Rambam. It's a heavy Rambam. So the Rambam says, Rambam, why? First of all, it also seems like, the ways of the Torah are pleasant. You know, this is always very important. If something in Yiddishkeit makes you miserable, chances are you're doing it wrong. Everything in Yiddishkeit is beautiful. The ways of the Torah are pleasant. The Ribbono Shal Olam loves us. He wants our Yiddishkeit to be something uplifting, meaningful, and impactful. And if it brings you down, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong, or you're misunderstanding something. So the Divir Miyolo says, what's going on over here? And he says something very profound. Look at number seven. He says, Kimosh Chasev Shachubal Isnachim Ala Avar, Vahatsar Al Ha'avar, he says something so profound. He says, because the only way to ensure that you don't repeat the sins of the past is to remember the pain that they caused you. You know, it's interesting. You could tell a child not to touch something hot. Right? Every parent tells you not to touch, touch something hot. And almost every single child never learns that lesson until when? They touch something hot. It's just the way human nature is. I can know intellectually that something is incorrect, something is wrong. But until I experience it and feel the pain of it, somehow it just doesn't set in. So the Divri Yermio says, you know, girls, you're, you're young, so you have very little life experience most probably. But as you get older, you will see that there are times in life that we make very painful mistakes. Very painful mistakes. And what the Divya Yermio says is, as painful as it is to carry that pain around with you, it's so important to do so. Because when you remember the pain of that mistake, I know I'll never do that again. Because I, I know how it felt to make that mistake. I know the residual damage. I know, I know the difficulties that it caused, perhaps for myself and for others. So the Divya Yermio says, as much as it is to take all of the Averis in the past with you, take them. Because by remembering the pain of the past, you will go ahead and ensure that you will not repeat those same mistakes again. An incredibly profound idea. Does this make you feel any better about the Rambam? So some yes, some no. Right? It gives me perspective of the Rambam, but I will tell you, when I read this piece by the Rambam, again, I, I, I still feel overwhelmed by this. I still, because I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think about like, if I have to go back and literally make an accounting of all of my Averis, all of my Averis, all of my Averis, it's overwhelming. I understand why the Rambam wants me to do it. I get it. I told him, now I understand it. But it doesn't take away from the enormity of that task. And the feeling, I'm going to be, when I think about it, it makes me feel sad. It makes me feel overwhelmed. And it makes me feel like I'm struggling to get out of a burden, under a burden that I'm never going to get out of. So perhaps there's another way to understand this Ramam as well. So we're going to go on a little bit of a detour. Go back now to number one. Right? Rosh Hashanah. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is the essence, the essence, the essence of Rosh Hashanah is, let's try it once more. The essence of Rosh Hashanah is, the essence of Rosh Hashanah 
is a Yom Adin. Rosh Hashanah at its core, right? When Rosh Hashanah is introduced to us, the first time we ever meet Rosh Hashanah is in Meseches Rosh Hashanah. Makes sense. That's source number one on your sheet. Source number one. The Mishnah says, Ba'arba prakim ha'olam nidon. The world is judged at four different intervals. On Pesach, we're judged regarding the amount of wheat the earth is going to produce. On Shavuos, the fruits of the tree. The Mishnah then goes on to say, on Sukkis, the amount of rainfall. And Berash Hashanah, kol ba'e olam ovrim lefanav kibnei maron. On Rosh Hashanah, all of the inhabitants of the world come before Hashem kibnei maron. How do you translate bnei maron? Sheep. So the truth is, there are three different opinions in the Gemara. Kemalos based Maron, Kechayalos based David, and Kimra, like sheep. We'll just go with the sheep. We'll go with the sheep for now. What does it mean that we come before Hashem like sheep? So the Gemara describes the imagery. There's a concept called Maiser Behema. You have to tithe. Take one-tenth of your animals and give it to the Kohen. So if you're a shepherd, this is good to know in case any of you choose shepherding. Is, there, is that a, I don't think that's offered. Right? Mashiach comes. I'm sure they're going to reintroduce shepherding. Right, so how, how do you take Maiser Behema? How do you take Maiser Behema? You corral all of your sheep, all of your sheep into a pen. You make one small opening. The sheep come out one at a time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number 10 comes out. The shepherd is there with a little red paintbrush, puts a little bit of red. That's the Maiser Behema. That's the Maiser Behema. So the imagery that the Gemara is saying is, on Hashanah, we come before Hashem Kibnei Maron, one by one. So there's a couple of things the Gemara is introducing us to. First of all, in general, Yiddishkeit operates with the principle that there is safety in numbers. What does it mean there's safety in numbers? Whenever I could embed myself as part of a tzibor, as part of a kehila, as part of a community, as part of a clown, that's always best. Always best. Why? Because as an individual, I may not have the requisite zechuyos to be able to get what it is that I need. But if I link myself to Am Yisrael, if I link myself, again, for a man, it's a minion, right? For a woman, it could be any, any construct, cohort of Klal Yisrael. Suddenly, again, that's a force multiplier. Suddenly, again, I don't just have my zechuyos, but I have the zechuyos of the collective to help tilt the scales in my favor. That works 363 days a year. There are two days, really one day, but we'll call two days. Rosh Hashanah now is two days. Two days, it doesn't work. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the experience is one of a singular, solitary one. Even though we're davening together as a tzibor, and even though, again, vidui, for example, is, is expressed in the plural, right? Avinu malkeinu is expressed. So, nevertheless, the Iker, the core experience of Rosh Hashanah, is a solitary one. It's me and the Rebbeinu Shalolah. That's it. Me and Hashem. And we come before Hashem one by one. There's no numbers. There's no group. There's not I'm going with my friend. I'm going with my family. There's nothing. I go myself. Why am I coming before Hashem? For din. For judgment. The Iker of Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. Everything else that flows out to be Mamlech Hashem, right? Malchios, Zichronos, and Shofros, all of that flows out of the construct of Rosh Hashanah as a Yom Hadin. It's day of judgment. Now, what's the difficulty with the day of judgment? Anyone here like to be judged? No? We love to judge, right? But we generally do not like to be judged. And this is what makes Rosh Hashanah a little bit of an uncomfortable experience. I don't want to be judged. I don't, well, the reason, and the reason I really don't want to be judged is because I actually don't know if I merit good judgment. I don't know. I don't know that I'm always proud of the life that I lived. 
I don't know that I'm always proud of the things that I've done. And so I dislike judgment. Now the beautiful part is, we're judged by the Ribbono Shalolam, who loves us more than we could ever imagine, who wants us to be more successful than we want success for ourselves. A Ribbono Shalolam who does anything and everything to allow us to self-actualize and to allow us to be happy in life. So although no one likes judgment, there's a nechama in knowing that I'm being judged by a father who loves me more. I, my mind, the human mind cannot grasp the enormity of the love that the Ribbono Shal Olam has for us. So now that we look at Rosh Hashanah as a day of judgment, I have one simple goal in Rosh Hashanah. What's my one simple goal in Rosh Hashanah? One simple goal. Tshuva. What's the problem with tshuva? Well, I, 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 let me see, rephrase that. There's no problem with tshuva. Right? What's the problem with saying that tshuva is the avod of Rosh Hashanah? Right? First of all, tshuva is Yom Kippur. I'm saying tshuva. Right? There, there actually is very, there's almost, there's no reference to tshuva over the courts of Rosh Hashanah with the exception of Avinu Malkenu. Right? Aside from that, there's no real tshuva. So what's my goal in Rosh Hashanah? What's my goal? Right? If, if ultimately, again, now we've established that the essence of Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Adin, is a day of judgment. What's my goal? Favorable judgment. That's it. That's it. That, that, again, if, if you want to boil everything down to just a core piece, you know, sometimes what happens is we come into Rosh Hashanah kind of like Elo also, and we're like overwhelmed by the enormity of the experience. And sometimes what happens when people get overwhelmed by things? Right? They don't do anything, which is like a great anomaly. I'm so overwhelmed by all the possibilities that I do nothing. And sometimes this happens over Yamim no Rahim. Like it's overwhelming. There's Malchus, there's Zechon. What does it mean to Imam Lech Hashem? Accept Hashem. But what about you? So let's distill it down. Let's distill it down. Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. And if it's a day of judgment, I have one simple goal. I want favorable judgment. That's what I want. And by the way, we see this. We see this, right? Remember again, what do we wish each other for, right? What, what do we say? On Rosh Hashanah night, we don't say, you should be zochet to be mam lechashem. Kikyamtiv, be zochet to be mam lechashem. Right? What do we say? Ksiv hachasimatova. That's it. That's it. Everything else flows from that. We want to be inscribed in the Sefer HaChayim. I want a favorable judgment. Whatever favorable means, that's what I want. So therefore, the question becomes very simple. How do we obtain favorable judgment in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How are we Zoha? How are we Zoha to find favorable judgment? So I want to share with you something amazing. There is a story of a man who once went over to Rav Avigdor Miller, I'm sure you've heard of Rav Avigdor Miller. Rav Avigdor Miller was one of the great Torah personalities of the last generation, of the last century. He, he died not so long ago, in 2000, 2001. So Victor Miller was one of those people, one of those gedolim who was responsible for building Torah in America after the Holocaust. Right? America, you see, today, you look at America, and Baruch Hashem, like America, America is a, has sprouted, has sprouted such a robust Torah presence. After the war, it wasn't like that. So you had people like Rav Victor Miller, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, like Rav Aaron Kotler, and others, who, who went ahead and took it upon themselves to build Torah here in America. 
So the story that's told that one time a man went over to Rav Vigdor Miller, who was already older, and he said, Rabbi, I have a question. How can I be successful in the din of Rosh Hashanah? So he asked Rav Vigdor Miller, I, I want to be, I, I, I heard this year, I want, right, I know Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Adin, I want to be successful in judgment, how can I be successful? Rav Vigdor Miller pauses for a second and he says, smile. Rav Vigdor Miller was already older by then. The man assumed that he did not, Rav Miller didn't hear the question. So you know how sometimes when someone doesn't speak English, you think that if you talk loud and slow, <laughs> somehow they're going to understand English, right? So the man goes back to Rav Vigdor Miller and he says, Rabbi, how can one be Zoha to positive judgment on Rosh Hashanah? Rav Vigdor Miller says, smile, smile. He sees the man is confused. So Vigdemil says, I, I think you think I didn't hear your question. I heard your question. I understand your question. And my answer is the same. If you want to be successful in Din on Rosh Hashanah, you have to smile. Vigdemil says, let me give you a mashal. And he gave such a beautiful mashal. So imagine for a moment that there's a man who owns a series of franchises. He owns a bunch of stores. A bunch of stores. Now, over the course of the year, those stores operate independently. Each of them has their own manager. They do their thing. At the end of the fiscal year, the owner, who owns all of the franchises, sits down with his accountant. And he says, let's go through each branch and figure out what's happening in each branch. So they take a look at the first branch and they realize, you know what? That branch, they're understaffed. That's why they're not producing. We have to hire more people over there. Okay, branch number two. The truth is, they do terrible marketing. We have to increase their marketing budget and go ahead and get the, get the word out. Branch number three, they don't have enough product diversity. They don't carry enough stuff. We have to really go ahead and stock their shelves a little bit better. They come to branch number four. They see branch number four is overstaffed. Is overstaffed. Payroll is too high. So what do they do? They call in the branch manager and they say, look, Let's go through your employee roster and let's identify who's essential, who's non-essential, who's doing a job, who's not doing a job, and we have to cut down payroll a little bit. So they go through person by person by person. They come to one of the last guys on the list. They ask the manager, what does this guy do? What are his responsibilities in the store? So the manager says, the truth is, he doesn't do that much in the store. The other people do this, other people do that. Well, the so if that's the case, we're going to have to cut him. We're going to have to go out and lay him off. To which Benjamin says, no, no, no. You can't lay that guy off. Not, not that guy. He doesn't do that much in the store. Like He's not stocking shelves. He's not working a register. He's not counting inventory. But what he does is he stands at the front door. And whenever customers come in, he greets them with such a smile, such a shalom aleichem, such a hello, offers to help them. The guy doesn't know where anything is in the store. But he offers to help them. And the moment they walk in, the moment they walk in, he gives them such a positive store experience. You can't, you can't lay off that guy. That guy we need. Cedra of Miller is something so beautiful. We often think that the goal in our Yiddishkeit is to become the best version of ourselves. And that's where accomplishment begins and that's where accomplishment ends. That is an element of accomplishment. But there's another dimension of accomplishment. What do you bring to the life of the other? 
How do you contribute and enhance the quality of life of those around you? Do you infuse simcha into your family, into your friends, into your community? Is your life a life lived for yourself? Or do you somehow find the ability to be value-added to the lives of those around you? You see, the Ribbono Shal Olam comes, Rosh Hashanah, said Rav Miller, is looking at the franchises. And he's looking at the employee lists. And if I could demonstrate that I am value-added to the divine franchise, and what does it mean to be value-added? That I don't just matter for me. I matter for other people. I make a difference in other people's eyes. Specifically, I bring simcha to someone else's life. I enhance someone else's quality of life. Rav said, if you do that, then you're like employee of the month in the franchise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You may not get a parking spot, but you get a favorable judgment. A striking story. And what a different way to look, about, look at Rosh Hashanah. That somehow what Rav Dimelu was saying is, shift the focus. It's not about me. It's not about me. Or I should say, my success is not just gauged in my own personalistic accomplishments. My success is fundamentally tethered to the positive impact I have on the life of another. Do I bring simcha to someone else in this world? Do I put a smile on someone else's face? Or at least, am I the kind of person who wears a smile on my own face? You know, when you see, how do you feel when you see someone smiling? How do you feel? Feel good. You feel good. Happiness is contagious, right? You feel, if, when you see someone, that's why, again, that's why Chazal said, having a kabel called Adam B'Sever Panim Yafos. What a strange halacha. I have to greet everyone with a smiling countenance. Why? I feel terrible today. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm bitter. But I have to put on a smile? Yes. Because your face is Rishos Harabim. Your face is the public domain. And how you wear that face doesn't just impact you, but impacts others as well. How do you secure a favorable judgment at the end of the day, says Rav Igda Miller? By bringing simcha to someone else. And how do you bring simcha to someone else? It's as simple as wearing a smile on your face. You want positive judgment smile. I was thinking about this a little bit. Because this notion of bringing simcha to other people is a complicated thing. You know, in life, in life, as you get older, you will find when you're young, other people are responsible for your happiness. Right? That's the way it works, right? Children, so I have to make my child happy. As I try to make my child happy, as we get older, we recognize a very important life lesson. No one can make me happy but me. Happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. And it's a terrible, terrible thing when people outsource their happiness to others or to other things. You hear this all the time. I'll be happy when, and you can fill in the blank. I'll be happy when I find a career. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I have children. I'll be happy. That's very dangerous. Because if you live a life of I'll be happy when, there's always something else you're going to want, always something else you're going to need. And that means you'll never be happy if your happiness is tethered to something external to you. Happiness is a choice. And here what they're being introduced to is my favorable judgment is directly related to my ability to make someone else happy. So how do you make someone else happy? So look at the Gemara. Look at the Gemara in number 
two. An incredible, incredible Gemara. Rabbi Baroka Choza Havishriach Peshuke de Beilev. This is a famous Gemara. Gemara Maseches Tainis. Rabbi Baroka, Rabbi Baroka was in the marketplace in Beilefet. Who does he run into in the marketplace of Beilefet? None other than Eliyahu Hanavi. Okay, runs into Eliyahu in the marketplace. Amr Lei, Ika Bahai Shulka Ba'amadasi. Yes, Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu, are there any people who have a portion in Olam Haba here in the marketplace? Anyone here who has a portion in the world to come? So I'll tell you something, I didn't put this on the sheet, but at first Eliyahu says, no, no, there's no one currently here who has a portion in the world to come, which is an interesting statement by itself, but not a topic for today. Then Eliyahu says, wait, 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 those two guys who just walked in, those guys, those two guys who just walked into the marketplace, they have a portion in the world to come. Rabbi Baroka runs over to them, third line up from the bottom of number two. Azul so Ibrahim says to these guys, what do you do? What do you do that you have a portion of the world to come? means literally, it's, I don't know a good English translation for this, but is a joke. We make jokes. We make jokes. It doesn't mean we make jokes. We make sad people happy. I don't know, stand-up comics, I don't, I don't know what they were, right? But we make sad people happy. That's what we do. That's what we do. So out of an entire marketplace of people, right, Baroka asks, right, Baroka asks, Eliyahu who are B'nai Olam Haba? Eliyahu says, no one. Then two guys walk in, two comics, two jesters, two guys who make people happy. They are the B'nai Olam Haba. Incredible. Once again, the power of making someone else happy. But look what Rashi says. Rashi Akadish number three says something absolutely amazing. Baduche, smechim, o mesamchim bene adam. How would you translate that phrase? Smechim, o mesamchim bene adam. Oh, they're happy and they make other people happy. To which Rashi Akadish just changed our lives in such a dramatic way. Rashi says, that before you could make anyone else happy, what's the prerequisite to making others happy? You must be a happy person yourself. They're happy, and therefore once they were happy, they can make other people happy. Incredible. You can't put a smile on someone else's face unless there's a smile on yours. You can't spread simcha unless you first have a sense of simcha in yourself. Which then leads us to the next question. So how do I find happiness? How do I find simcha in life? So take a look. One more Gemara. Number five. Number four. Sorry. Gemara Masechus Megillah. You know this past week, past Shabbos, we're at Parshas Kisavo. Parshas Kisavo contains the Tochacha. Right? And, and when you read the Tochacha, the Psukim that detail the curses for non-compliance with the Ratzon Hashem. And the truth is, the Tochecha is overwhelming. The Tochecha is straight out scary. It, 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 there's a reason we read it in an undertone, right? Again, sometimes we're like a little bit callous to it, or a little bit deaf to it. But the Tochecha is Yibam Shalom telling us, Pepe Malay, complete, complete disclosure. What happens if Kral Yisrael does not follow the chosen path? And the most horrific of curses, the most horrific Klalos, and it always bothered me. Why read this right before Hashanah? Like, if you think about it, right, if someone were to ask you, 
What's the last thing we should read? During Chodesh Elo leading up to Rosh Hashanah, it would be, I'll give you a hint, the Tochacha, right? The Tochacha. In other words, give me something upbeat. Give me something, like, by the way, Parashas Nitzav in this week's parasha, such an upbeat parasha. Moshe Abinu is filling us with optimism, with hope, with possibilities. It's great. It puts me in the right frame of mind. But you can read the Tochacha. Right before Rosh Hashanah, such a strange thing. So the Gemara addresses this dynamic in number four. So the Gemara says, why do we read the Tochacha? Tanya, Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar Omer, Rabbi Shimon Al-Azhar says, says as follows, why do we read the Tochacha? He says, my time was second line, number four, literally translated means, let the year and its curses end. As the year ends, let the curses end with it. It's almost like, let's finish up the year, Let's finish up the Klalas and that's it. Which is interesting. What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's, let's put the curses behind. I guess what it means is let's put the curses behind us so that we could go ahead and embrace a new year of Brach. And the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh says something absolutely amazing. The Baal Shem Tov says what it means is to go ahead and put the year and its curses behind us. The Rebbe says means I have to learn to let go of the negativity. The Klalas, at the end of the day, says Bashantav, means the negativity in life. And the Rebbe explains something so beautiful. That sometimes we go through life with such negativity. Such negativity. You ask, where do we have negativity from? Where don't we have negativity from? Right? There's negativity that we feel towards others. We've all been hurt by someone. We've all been hurt by someone. It's just the nature of the world. Sometimes it's intentionally, sometimes it's unintentionally. So I have negativity in that. I have negativity towards you. You hurt me. You hurt me. So I have ill, I have negativity. I have negativity towards you. Sometimes if we're honest, we have negativity towards the Ribbon Shalom. Right? This is uncomfortable for us to talk about theologically, but it's important to recognize that sometimes there is negativity towards Hashem. Why do people sometimes have negativity towards Hashem? Why? They feel they don't get what they want. They feel they don't get what they want. Or yeah, I would even change the word want to what they deserve. Or to what I do everything you ask of me. I do it. I go above and beyond. And there are certain basic things in my life that I feel, to be honest, I've earned. I'm not asking for a super yacht. right? I'm not asking to win the lottery. I'm asking for simple things. And I don't understand why you, the Melech Malchayah I don't understand why you don't come through. We often don't articulate it because it's uncomfortable to talk about. But for many of us, it lives in our heart. And by the way, I just want to point out to you, you should never feel guilty when you feel that way. That's normal and it's natural. And I'll give you the raya to it. There's a fascinating halacha. When a person loses a loved one for whom they're obligated to mourn, the period between death and burial is called aninos. And during aninos, there's a fascinating halacha. A person is exempt from all mitzvot asay, all positive commandments. All positive commandments, which means no brachas, no davening. Such a strange thing. I've just encountered death. Death should create the exact opposite. Death reminds us we're not in control. I should be running to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And so the Mepharshim explains something so beautiful, which is that after the death of a loved one, sometimes a person feels wronged by the Ribbon HaShalolam. I don't understand why you did this. I don't. I'm in so much pain. 
I'm so broken. I'm so upset. This person was good. All the different things. Chazal understood this. So what did Chazal give us? A little bit of a divine breather. You're in pain. You're in pain. Don't engage right now. You know, the worst thing you could do with someone who you're upset with is what? Well, sometimes the worst thing you could do when you're very upset with someone is talk to them, right? Sometimes I, 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 ju- I just need, I, I need a moment. I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll get it together. And Chazal gave us that. Chazal understood that sometimes, sometimes, as awkward as it sounds to say, I feel wronged by the Rebono Shalom. I know that I'm not. I know, if you ask my intellect, I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves me. And there's a plan that's bigger than me. And I don't understand how the Rebono Shalom runs the world. I don't. I, my head, I know it all. But my heart is broken in a million pieces. And I'm upset. And I'm disillusioned. And I'm hurt. Because I thought we had a relationship. And I thought that I give you so much, Chesh Baruch Hu, and I don't ask, I don't think I ask, for all that much in return. So sometimes we carry around baggage and negativity towards the Baruch Hu. We carry around baggage and negativity towards others. We carry around theological baggage, negativity towards Hashem. And sometimes, whether we realize it or not, we carry around negativity towards ourselves. You're young, so you may not be able to relate to this right now. But one day you'll say, I remember that Rosh Hashanah Yomi Yun where Shmuel Silber was talking about that thing that I could not understand what he was talking about, and now I get it. We go through life, and sometimes we have negativity towards ourselves. Why? Because many times in life I don't accomplish things. Things that are important, things that I should have, things that I promised myself I would. And kind of the reflexive reaction when you don't accomplish something, right? What's the reflexive reaction whenever something doesn't go right? The reflexive reaction? I'm sorry? You feel down. Good. After you feel down, what happens next? Right? I'm sorry? Get upset at yourself. Good. So, okay, you're a very idealistic group, right? So, before you get upset, most times, people assign blame to someone else. Not my fault. Not, 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 not my fault. I saw this, by the way, at, at, a, at a kiddish the other week. There were two people. One guy bumped into another guy, right? And the, the, the guy, one guy was holding a bottle of, whatever, uh, not a bottle of, a cup of soda. And the soda spilled on his shirt. And the bumper, I'll call him the bumper, the guy bumped. The first is, not my fault. Not my, I was like, wow. Not my fault. Not my fault. Like, like it, it was incredible. That cap is to also be an attorney. So it was a lot like, uh, you know, I think, I think it was all, all like in one. Not my fault. I was like, incredible. That, that, that's how we're wired. That's how we're wired. So not my fault. My mother didn't love me enough. My father wasn't home enough. My teachers weren't attentive enough. My seminary was too big. It was too small. It was too this. It was too that. There's a million and one different reasons we give for our failures. But then as we become a little bit more mature, we begin to realize the buck of my life stops with me. Stops with me. My failures are mine. My failures are mine. And failures come in different shapes and sizes. Sometimes failures means literally a failure. Sometimes a failure means a failure to take advantage of a life opportunity. You know, when I was, when I was a kid, I don't know if they have it anymore. When I was a kid, they used to have these choose your own adventure books. Where, right, you'd read the book, right? You'd get to the middle of the book. You know, if you want Johnny to go, you know, left, I'm sorry, you know, bracha similar to go left, right? And you could turn to page 22. You wanted to go right, you turn to page 76. And as I got older, I realized like those books are such an incredible metaphor for life. Because so often in life, I'm at a juncture. I'm at a juncture. And I have to make a decision. 
to go right or to go left. And as you get older, you realize, I've made some really poor decisions in life. I've just made poor decisions. I, I, objectively, bad decisions. Sometimes you make decisions that are, in retrospect, bad, but I made the best decision I could at the time. I, right? You can only make a decision based on the knowledge you have at hand. So sometimes it turns out that it was the wrong decision. Okay, that, that you can't necessarily plan for. But sometimes in life, I actually just make bad decisions. Yes? Are you, oh, good. We're going to get to that in just a second. Hold on. Hold on for just a moment. We're not gonna, yeah, hold on. So now I go through life with this anger and animosity towards myself. I'm angry at me. I'm angry at me. And by the way, I want to tell you, there is not a person in this world. Again, I think maybe you're too young to relate to this yet. But as you get a little older, there's not a person in this world who does not struggle with this dynamic. I could, I could myself go ahead and, and think about five different occasions where I was at a crossroads and I chose the wrong way. And like big stuff. I don't, I don't mean like, like, an, like, like life decisions. Life decisions. And I, I, I know I should have chosen differently. But I chose wrongly. It's me. It's me. All, all me. And so we carry our negativity towards ourselves. So we have these three buckets of negativity. Negativity towards other people because maybe they've hurt us. Negativity sometimes towards Hashem, because sometimes, again, I feel like He hasn't come through for me. Negativity towards myself because of my failures. And what happens, what happens when you go through life schlepping this negativity? What does it do to you? What does it do to you? It just fundamentally weighs you down. It weighs you down. You just can't move. You know, you ever, maybe you could relate to this. I'm going to tell this to you from a parent perspective. And then what happened? And you could relate to maybe from a child perspective. I know that sometimes when we've gone on a family vacation, it's always such a great idea, like in the planning stage, right? Everything is great, such a, right? It's going to be beautiful, wonderful. And then I'll tell you when, like, I begin to have significant second thoughts. Generally, if it's, it requires a plane ride, right? You get on the plane, and what happens? And what happens? You have all of this luggage, right? And there's the carry-ons, and there's the this. And then Mir Hashem, one day you'll see, and the children, and what happens? You're getting on the flight, and the overhead bin, and can, you can't get this, you can't get that. This, this, the snacks are here, this or that. And you're schwitzing, and you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe, why do we do this? What, 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 what were we thinking? What were we thinking? Right? And then the moment you finally stoop everything into the overhead, bin, so then what happens? Somebody wants a snack. You have to get it back down. Everything falls out. You're getting dirty glances from this one and that one. Everyone's angry. And you think, I should have just stayed home. And while you're struggling with your baggage, you ever fly and you see that person, that man or that woman, and all they have is like that little carry-on. <laughs> little carry-on, right? And it's like the size of a Ziploc. And it has their laptop and a change of clothing and a little bit. And they just walk by, right? And they walk up to the front of the line. They usually find business class. And they just walk in and you're schwitzing and struggling and wondering why you ever put yourself in this matzov. And this person is just, they're comfortable. They're in their seat. They already have a glass of wine. The flight is a relaxing experience. It's an incredible metaphor for life. There are some people who schlep their baggage everywhere. And everywhere they go, there's 15 suitcases. 
there's the suitcase of resentment towards this one. The suitcase of resentment towards that one. The suitcase of disillusionment with God. The suitcase of disappointment in myself. And I take it with me everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. And says the Baal Shem something absolutely amazing. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You have a choice. What can you do with your baggage? What can you do? Just leave it on the side of the road. Leave it on the side of the road. Let it go. Let it go. And I want to tell you something amazing. So I know what you're thinking. Let it go. So what's the strategy? What's the strategy for letting it go? There's no strategy for letting it go. It's just simply let it go. You know, we're conditioned to think that in order to affect life change, who do I speak to, right? So who should I go to talk to, to discuss this leaving behind of my baggage? Which Rebbe, which Rebbe, which teacher, which person? Who, do I, who should I get a bracha from, right? Where, where should I go to Davin, right? I, how many times do I have to say nishmas within seven minutes in order to be able to affect this change? Sometimes in life, you could just make a decision to change. It doesn't require a therapist. And it doesn't require a rav. And it doesn't require Rebbe, and it doesn't require Kivrei Tzadikim, and it doesn't require Rebendola, and it doesn't even require Sefer Tehillim. All it requires is a conscious decision to live life differently. I'm not taking my baggage with me anymore. I'm done. I'm done. Besides the fact that I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted from schlepping around my stuff all of the time. I want to travel light. I want to be that guy in the airport with the Ziploc carry-on, right? Who's always, right? No, no, not a beat of sweat. Perp goes right to the front of the line, gets on, gets off. No, I want to be that guy. I want to, I want to start traveling light in life because it's too exhausting to schlep around all of the negativity. And goes, this is a choice. This is a choice you make. You can make the choice today. You can make the choice right now. You can make the choice to say, Hinini muhan umazuman, to offload my baggage of negativity. No more. No more. One second, but this person who wronged me didn't ask forgiveness. See, I want to tell you, one of the reasons we have difficulty unloading into personal negativity is because we often equate, we often equate unloading of baggage, unloading of baggage, right? Draining negativity to forgiveness. And those are not the same thing. Forgiveness has to be earned. If somebody hurts me, there's a halacha. If somebody hurts me, they have an obligation to go ahead and ask me for forgiveness. And when they ask, I have an obligation to go ahead and grant it. I should grant it. But I don't have to necessarily forgive if somebody didn't ask for forgiveness. But even if there's no forgiveness, you can still let go of the negativity. You know, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, has a great quote. He says, allowing someone, excuse me, bearing a grudge is like allowing someone to live in your head rent-free. What do you get for it? Schlepping around. I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let go of the negativity because if I let go of the negativity, then that shows that what Ruvain did to me was okay. No, it doesn't. It just means that you're making a conscious decision to lead a better life and you don't want to be slowed down by the negativity of feeling something bad towards someone else. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't give you the life that you wanted or didn't give you the brachos that you think you deserved, maybe it did deserve. You're right. You're right. It's hard. It's hard. But I also accept that I don't understand. The cheshbonos of the ribbon and the world is so much bigger than me. So, 
I could be angry at him or I could just run into his arms. And it's so much better to run into his arms. It's so much better to have a sense of closeness because that will be better for my life. And that'll be better for my mental health, for my physical health, and for my ability to accomplish. You can beat yourself up over your misdeeds, your missed opportunities, and your mistakes. You can. The difference just is that doesn't any better prepare you to seize ones for the future. Let go of the baggage. That's why the Baal Shem Tav HaKadosh says, that's how the Gemara says, we read the Tochacha at the end of the year, the same way that Tochacha is behind me, I'm going to take all of my negativity and let it, but go, let, let, and let it be something of the past. Put it behind me as well. Now let's come full circle because I know I'm out of time. Let's go full circle. So now we understand. Like Rabbi Victor Miller told me, I want to be successful in Din. Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Adin. Is a Yom Adin. How can I be successful in my Yom Adin? How can I be successful in judgment? What was the answer? Smile. Bring joy. Right? Be, be value added to the life of another person. But in order to do that, what do you first have to have? Simcha. And how do you find life simcha? Check your baggage. Actually, I take it back. Don't check it. Because if you check your baggage, it's still yours. Leave, you know how like by BW, like Southwest has like the check-in counters outside of the terminal, right? Just leave it on the curb. Don't even take it to the Southwest. Don't, just leave it on the curb. Just leave it on the curb, right? Just, just leave it there and walk away. Imagine, by the way, imagine leaving all of that baggage. I see it. I see it. I turn my back on it. I'm going. I'm going. Imagine how light you will feel. Imagine how liberated you will feel. Most importantly, imagine how much simcha you will feel. And the moment you feel that simcha in your neshama, in your heart, in your life, is the moment that you could share it with others. And the moment that you could share simcha with others is the moment ultimately again that you put yourself just a little bit closer to securing a favorable judgment. And now full circle. The Ramam told us that, right, 55 minutes ago, we spoke about this, right? That the Ramam told us that we have to remember Averis year to year, right? Even if I did not commit the same Avera year to year, year to year, I still have to go ahead and remember it. Why did Divya Miyo said, why? Because if I remember the pain of the past, it helps sensitize me not to repeat the same mistakes of the future. Says the Divya Yermio, there's one exception to this rule. And what's the exception to the rule? If remembering the sins of the past will weigh you down and make you feel negative about yourself, don't do it. Incredible. Because girls, the most important thing is to walk into Rosh Hashanah b'simcha. You see, we're so used to having Yamim Noraim, right? We think, what's the litmus test of a successful Yamim Noraim? How do you know you're really having an incredible Yamim Noraim? Like, the more miserable I am, right? The better this is, right? Literally, I have not been happy for a month. Oh, wow. Since Elul, since Elul, I have been a mess. Halig, it's incredible. It's not Halig, it's probably called depression, right? In other words, HaKash Baruch wants us to be besimcha. Because think about it. Think about when you've accomplished the most in your life. No one ever accomplishes major things in a state of tsar. People accomplish great things in a state of simcha. The goal is to walk into Rosh Hashanah light. The goal is to walk into Rosh Hashanah floating. The goal is to walk into Rosh Hashanah with a profound sense of simcha. And how do you establish that simcha? Get rid of your baggage. And sometimes it takes time, but it's okay. It's only Thursday. It's only Thursday. You have a couple of days. 
Imagine going in Sunday night. By the time of Hadlaka's there, imagine by the time that the Yoma Din ends, I have no baggage. I let it all go. It's all behind me. There's still stuff after the tshuva for, but if you notice, by the way, that's why tshuva doesn't come till later. Right? Tshuva really begins like Tzom Gedalia. That's a Sarasimei Tshuva, Yom Kippur. Because Baruch understood before you could be in a state of mind to plan for a successful year ahead, you first have to let go of the baggage of the past. That's our avoda. The Ribbono Shal Olam wants us to have a Rosh Hashanah of Simcha, a Rosh Hashanah of lightheartedness, not lightheartedness like jesting or joking around, but a lightheartedness that comes because I'm not schlepping around any negativity anymore. This is our avoda. So we should be Zohar Amir Hashem as we spend the next few days of preparation. So first of all, to introspect and to identify our pockets of negativity because we all have them. We should be zochet to identify the pockets of negativity. We should find the strength to let go of them because it's funny how married people become to their negativity. Let go of it. Leave it on the curb. Walk away from it. Allow yourself to be enveloped with a profound sense of simcha. Use that simcha in the remaining days to lift up another Jew. Use your smile to put a smile on someone else's face. And in that merit, may each of us be zochet to aksir v'chasimatova. A year filled with incredible bracha, hatzlacha, kol mish'alos libeinu l'tova. And most importantly, a year where we finally see the actualization of the bracha that we have been davening for for 2,000 years. That this should be the year, Mirat Hashem, the zchus of our collective simcha. That this should be the year of Geula, the year of the Beis Hamikdash, the year of Mashiach Imher Rabbi Amenu. Amen.